You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. There are more important things in this world than getting as many treats as you can get your hands on. Greedy cubs who only think of themselves can never really be happy. Do you know why? Brother Sister Bear replied, no. Papa said, because you can't have anything you want in life all the time. Do you understand? Brother Sister Bear replied, yes. Mama chimed in, and, and furthermore, it's, it's good to think of others sometimes instead of just yourselves. Sister Bear replied, okay. Brother agreed, we will. It's the dialogue of the classic children's book, The Berenstain Bears. Get, get the gimmies, if you've never read that, a story of brother and sister constantly wanting more and more, constantly wanting more from Papa and Mama, constantly wanting more from Gran and Gramps. This, this story of greed and selfishness and a never satisfied, never content heart. A book that I read over and over as a small child, a, a book that teaches little children that the things of this world won't bring them contentment. So what's the problem? What's the problem this morning in 2024? Well, the problem is that little children grow up to be adults that still struggle to fully learn that lesson. There are more important things in this world than getting as many treats as you can get your hands on, greedy preacher, greedy men and women of East River Park who only think of themselves, can never really be happy. Do you know why? Well, you can't have everything you want in life all the time. Do you understand? So uh, let, me, let me gently add to old Papa Bear's advice, because even if you could get anything you wanted in life at any time, you still wouldn't be happy. Philippians 3, verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things, but our, like our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So for those that, that set their minds on the things of this world, for those that make food their God, for those that glory in themselves, the end is not happiness. The end is not the life that you've always wanted. As Paul would say, their end is destruction. But you know, there's, there's a better way. 
There's a better pathway to contentment. There is a way to be fully satisfied for those that are citizens of heaven that eagerly await the return of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, for those that have died to self and will be transformed to be like his glorious body, for those in Christ, there is, like, there's real contentment to be found. So let me show us what that means from God's word. We'll be, again, in Philippians 4. Um, primarily focusing on verses 11 through 13. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, it's all there. But before we study together, uh, like we do every week, let's pray. God, we come before you, and um, I was just reminded of a, a children's story. I read over and over and over as a kid uh, a story with a lesson that I fail to learn all the time. What, what really drives our contentment? Not just as individuals, but as a church. What's going to bring us contentment? God, we want to know from your word. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, teach us, teach me this morning. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Come to Macedonia and help us. The man said in the vision to the Apostle Paul in chapter 16 of the book of Acts. And what did Paul do? Well, he boarded the boat and set sail. So there's no proper synagogue in the major city of Macedonia named Philippi. No place to gather but by the river for prayer. And so faithful women did. Lydia from Thyatira gathered among them a worshiper of God, listening to the gospel proclaimed by Paul for the first time. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Not moved by emotion, not moved by the setting of the experience, not moved even by the preaching of Paul, but by the power of the gospel of Christ, the authority of the Father to awaken dead hearts, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Like Lydia listened and exploded into belief. Her heart e eternally beating for the first time. She was baptized and then her and her whole household. And so the gospel moved from the river to the city. Men and women taking the good news across Philippi, and so the church was born on Paul's second, second missionary journey. This letter written to the saints in Christ Jesus, to the overseers and the deacons. So let's read together. I'm going to back it up. We'll start again in verse 10. So Philippians 4, we'll, just for context, we'll read verse 10 through 13. It says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Question. In your notes, when will we be content? Like, when will enough be enough for you and I? 
That's the driving question for us this morning. That's the driving question that the Apostle Paul answers in the text. Like, when are we going to finally be at peace? When are we finally going to rest? When are we finally going to be fulfilled? When are we going to finally be, like, fully satisfied? There is an angst among the saints. I hear it whispered among the churches, God's people are struggling to find a place of contentment. Never enough money. Never enough friendships. Never enough job opportunities. Never enough time to get things done. Never enough energy just to make it through the day. We are a people, stated or otherwise, that feel like we never have enough. So, like, what is... What does God's word have to say to our hearts? What does the Apostle Paul say about contentment? Look at verse 11 with me. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Well, let's stop. That doesn't, that doesn't really make sense to me. We know from last week, we know from like the, just the contextual clues of the letter, Paul ain't doing well. Like this guy is not writing a letter in a warm cozy coffee shop in East Tennessee. This is a letter penned in a Roman prison, a prison with, without a chow hall serving three meals a day. No, he's, he's dependent upon the provision of, of other believers for clothing and meals. Like they are providing what he needs. So when Paul says that he's not speaking of being in need, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have needs. He does. And I'd say far greater needs than most of us. No, something else is happening here in the passage. Look at the rest of verse 11. It says, For I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. Content. It's from the Greek word artekis. It's literally meaning like sufficient, having enough. Pay attention to the text. Paul says that he has learned whatever situation he's to have enough to be sufficient. That that's not something you or I or Paul just magically believe. It's a human reaction to not be content. And yet Paul is writing that verse surrounded by prison walls. It's not a magical belief that just pops into our brain. It's something we have to learn. So as followers of Christ, we must learn how to be content in every situation. So when will we be content? I'll just give you a few points. Here's your point one if you're a note taker. We, we will be content when we're humbled. We'll be content when we're humbled. Verse 12 Paul says, I know how to be brought low. Before Paul met Christ Jesus, he was a man of earthly power. He was a Roman citizen born in Tarsus, uh, which is modern-day Turkey. He was a a tent maker that was able to turn a solid prophet. He was highly educated among the Jewish people. He had authority to send Christians to be slaughtered. This is Acts chapter 22, starting verse 3. Paul speaking, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our forefathers, 
being zealous for God as all of you are this day, I persecuted this way to death, binding and, and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest, the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who are there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul is, is on a business trip to Damascus to continue to persecute Christians. And it was on the road to Damascus that Paul met the God-man Christ Jesus. It was Christ who took this, this powerful, wealthy, arrogant religious leader and made him humble. So it, it, it wasn't just prison that taught Paul to be brought low. For every man or woman that wishes to come to Christ must first be brought low by Christ. It's, it's the calling to come and follow Jesus. It's Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he, he being Jesus, said to all, If, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but then loses or forfeits himself? Like there is no place of arrogance or pride at the cross of Christ. Christ is our mighty example of humbleness. It says it in Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Have this in mind. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's only death before life. Like to be humbled is the blessed gospel calling. Simply like if you're not humble this morning, if you're like, I'm not a very humble person, I really doubt that you even understand what Jesus did for you. Like how did Paul view all of his former glories now that his soul was saved? Well, he said it in Philippians 3, chapter 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Friends like you and I will never be able to understand humbleness until we've been humbled by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And yet, just because your soul's saved doesn't mean that life gets easier. The main thrust of Paul in chapter 4 is that life has brought him low at times. L like, look at verse 12. I have learned the secret, what, skipping over plenty and abundance for right now, I've learned the secret of facing hunger and need. Paul has learned to be content when things in this life are not going well. When will we learn that? What, like, when will I learn that as, as a pastor? Like, as individuals, can we say that we're content 
when the bank account looks pathetic? Can we say that we're content when there's not a ton of food in the fridge? Can we say that we're content when we work at a job that we're overqualified for? Can we say that we're content when we can't afford the clothes or shoes that we want? As a church, East River Park, can we say that we're content when the building isn't as new or big as other churches? Can we say that we're content when other churches have more money or resources than we do? Can we say that we're content when other churches have more people to serve in the various ministries that are in need? Friends, this is the obvious one. Comparison kills contentment. Some people have more than you. Some people have an easier life than you. Some churches have more resources than this church. Comparison is not a humble attitude. Comparison is the contentment killer. Do you not think, do you not think how easy it would have been for Paul to sit in prison and think, like, man, I've, I've been faithful to God my whole life, well, at least since Damascus, but I've been faithful to God, and, like, here's where it's got me. And we've got these immature Christians over there in Philippi just sipping on wine and enjoying life. How fair is that? So quit. It is a humble plea to myself and this church. Quit comparing your life to everyone else's life. Quit comparing this church to every other church that you think does church better from the outside looking in. Quit. Just quit. Comparison is the contentment killer. It is not the man or woman that has learned to be brought low. Friends, humbleness, humbleness, it is the first step before we can actually release our anxieties before the Lord. I'll prove it, 1 Peter. It's not on the screen, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Like being brought low is not a bad thing. It's the required thing. So, if life has brought you low this morning, I would just patiently say be encouraged. Like Christ Jesus knows what that feels like. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When will we be content? I'll give you the second one. We'll, we'll be content when we have much. When we have much. The reality is not everything in Paul's life has always been terrible. 
even after he came to Christ, there, there were good times. Returning to the main text, verse 12, he says, I, I know how to abound. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and abundance. So, so please don't miss the good times in the bad. Please don't forget that there are good moments right now in your life. Paul experienced them. There were times when Paul had plenty of money. There were times with, with like huge ministry wins. I can imagine Paul thinking about the abundance of the gospel being spread among the city, just working side by side with his friends in the ministry in Philippi. You know, the good old days, plenty, abundance. And yet when those moments finally arrive, like finally we made it. Finally the debt's paid off. Finally got a new car. Finally bought a new phone. Finally went on a nice vacation. Finally ministry just seems like it's clicking and, and working well. None of those things are wrong. Paul did not demonize the plenty or the abundance. The problem is that those good things are dangerous. That the, that the plenty and the abundance never satisfy. And I'd say they often intensify the craving. 2 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6. But godliness, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we were brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. If we have food and clothing, with these, we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Which is why so many of us believe the lie that Point one of your notes is more difficult than point two. But it's point two that drives our desire to be satisfied with the things of this world. All right, so you make this amount of money each year. Wouldn't it be better if you made this amount? We have this big of a house. Wouldn't it be better if we had a larger living room? or a basement, or just, you know, just a little more land. We have this many people attending church on a Sunday. Wouldn't it be better if we doubled the attendance? Again, the, the plenty and the abundance is not wrong. And if God blesses, great. But the danger is that the abundance and the plenty fuel a never-ending desire for more. You don't think... Preachers get drunk on church attendance and the church offering plate? It reveals a heart that craves more and more and more and more. So being content is kind of easy when you have nothing. I mean, that's, I mean what else are you going to do? That's your only choice. You don't have a choice. You can only dream of what you do not have. No, it's... It's being content when you have much. See, that's, that's often the difficult part. All right, so what's the secret, Paul? Twice you've said you've learned how to do it. 
twice you said you've learned to be content in every situation. We will be content when we're humbled. We will be content when we have much. What's the secret? Verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All right, Paul, still waiting on that secret um, because, you know, we've, we've heard verse 13 before. People, you know, people go through a lot and they, they need some strength to do that. Basketball, football, baseball, soccer players, they need strength to, you know, battle on the field and the court. And we're just so thankful that verse 13 that reminds us that we can do anything because Jesus is on our team. I'm being a little sarcastic in that, um, because that's what I think many believe verse 13 means. That's the way I was taught that verse growing up. So as a kid, I played on uh, the Kentucky Rockers, a travel baseball team. And when I say played, I mean I practiced with the team and then sat on the bench during the games. And, and each of us on the team, we had written on our baseball caps, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is a pretty disorienting thing to believe when Jesus didn't make you good enough of a baseball player to start for that travel baseball team. So you know, let me gently say that it means more than just what many of us have been taught. Certainly the importance of not ripping one verse out of its context so it can fit just whatever desire you have in your life. Look at verse 13. In light of the context of verses 10 through 13, what does Paul say when he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When will we be content? Let me give you point three. We will be content through Christ. We'll be content through Christ. That is the verse of the Apostle Paul. That is the secret that has to be learned. That is the, the secret that Paul has learned. Paul has learned to be content with little or with much because he has Christ and Christ will strengthen him to be content. I'm not saying, I'm not saying to you as an individual or as a church that, hey, because of what we looked at this morning, hey, just be thrilled that you're poor. I'm also not saying as an individual or as a church that we should feel guilty when we have times of abundance. Contentment is not complacency. Contentment is the ability to be satisfied in Christ, come what may. Psalm 17, verse 15, it says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake. I shall be satisfied with your likeness. The heart of David, the heart of the Apostle Paul, it must be the heart of every brother or sister in Christ. Friends, we have Christ. He's our infinite value. He's our greatest treasure. Give me hunger. Give me plenty. Give me sickness. Give me health. Give me life. Give me death. For to live is Christ, to die is gain. The secret to contentment is to be satisfied in Christ alone. As the English Puritan, William Bridge, profoundly said, he said, So now take, take a man that hath all the fullness of the earth, 
because that his soul was never made for the fullness of the earth. Therefore, he is said to be empty. Like in the midst of all his fullness, the man is an empty man because his heart is not full of that which he was made, and that is Christ. It's an unexpected call this week. I answered the phone, began to talk. He shared what God had been doing in his life, and these wildly Holy Spirit-level prophetic moments I grew up Southern Baptist, so he was already making me uncomfortable. And, but it was encouraging. God has been speaking to him through his word. God is doing something in his heart that I'd say he nor I know what will become of it. And he told me, I, I felt the Holy Spirit this morning press me and say, call Jason. Oh, yikes, that's me. Um, like, I better have some stellar advice on this phone call. Apparently, God chose me for this conversation. And so we talked on the phone for about an hour. And then he said something to me that, that honestly just gave me chills, something, something very simple that moved me emotionally. And he, he slowed down. It was about an hour into this conversation. He slowed down and said, you know, if I can think of of one line that keeps coming back to me, it's this. His word is enough. And for whatever reason, that just hit me to the core. And I like fought back some tears, tried to respond to that. And I truly do hope that the Lord used me in that conversation, but I don't doubt that the Holy Spirit prompted him to call me and tell me that one. His word is enough. And I thought about that a lot this week, and I know you all got a lot of issues that you're working through. But I'm no different. I've got my own problems, my own sin struggles, my own little family to take care of, my own finances and, and schedules to, to juggle. And sometimes those things are going really well, and sometimes those things are difficult. But friends, his word is enough. It is the not-so-well-kept secret of Philippians 4. Christ is our supplied contentment. Hebrews 13.5, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Money will come and go. People will come and go. Success will come and go. Jesus He'll never leave you nor forsake you. So, yeah, Christ is enough. His word is enough. So when will we be content? Your main point, we must be content in every circumstance. I'm going to do something a little different here. I don't think I have done. Um, there was a prayer I found um, 
man named Scotty Smith, I think it'd be good in light of what we've studied to just read this prayer. So as we close, um, just close your eyes or at least just focus and we'll pray this prayer together. I'll read this and then we'll close out and worship together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as I meditate on the Apostle Paul's words, I smell the aroma of a free man, a joyful man, a grace man, a man I want to become more like. Things he once treasured became Paul's garbage. Old stuff that used to consume him no longer even amused him. Enjoying an intimate and robust relationship with you meant more to Paul than any other competing currency and treasure. And though I am not as free as Paul, I am as justified as he. For I too can say with humility and joy that you are my righteousness. I don't trust in doing good stuff or not doing bad stuff for my acceptance with God, not in my tears or my sincerity, not in my service or my repentance, not in my giving or my striving. That is why I can say with Paul, I want to know you better and better, Jesus, more deeply and fully, spilling over into a life of living to your glory. So grant me the power of the Spirit to love well, to love holiness, people, and my community, and grant me a greater willingness to suffer with you, Jesus. Give me your heart, tears, and compassion for the broken people and broken places in our world. And so very amen, I pray, in your lovely and lovely and loving name.